Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, you could turn to the, um, the, there's a pew Bible in the chair in front of you. It's a black hardcover Bible. If you open that, you could turn that to page 861. Page 861 in the Pew Bible, we're going through Matthew 28, verses 1 through 20. It's not 1 through 10, it's 1 through 20. And I encourage you to follow along in the Bible. What we try to do in this church is make sure that what is being taught from the pulpit is what's actually in the copy in front of you. So um, please follow along to to, make sure that what we're saying here is biblical. Again, page 861, Matthew 28. If this is your first time reading a Bible, the 28 is the big number, that's the chapter number, and the small numbers, when I say Matthew 28, 1, verse 1, that's the small number 1. Oh, I'm sorry, 8 what? 885, sorry, 885, thank you. Page 885. Hear then the word of the living God. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the woman, Don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and and they will see me there. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Say this, His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ear, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and disciple all nations, all ethnic people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Father, that's our prayer, that your word would dwell richly among us. As we meditate here on the resurrection of Christ this 
Sunday morning, we pray that you would give us eyes to see the glories of Christ, that you would free our hearts from the bondage to fear, the bondage to worldliness, the bondage to relationships, the bondage to money, the bondage to um, work and career and prestige and power, the bondage to the approval of others, the bondage to control or comfort or pleasure. We pray that you would free us from these things, free our hearts to entrust ourselves fully to Christ alone. That comes only by the power of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit giving us faith and repentance. So we pray for those gifts now because apart from you, we can do nothing. Help us, we pray. We are desperate for you. We are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And we've come to you for gold and clothing and ointment to, to spread on our eyes so that we can see. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen. What is Christianity all about? It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And why is Jesus so important? Here's how one person has summarized the gospel message. Through who Jesus is and what he's done, God the Father, this is the core message of Christianity in one sentence, through who Jesus is and what he's done, God the Father saved sinful people from condemnation into a clean relationship with him. And then God will restore the earth where we will enjoy our new life together with him forever. There's a message of Christianity. Through Jesus, God saves sinners. God enters them into a clean relationship with him. And God will celebrate with them on a restored earth to enjoy our lives together with each other as a family, with God forever and ever and ever. That's the message of Christianity. And it's all coming through who Jesus is and what he has done. And as Christians here, and if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, we all, whether Christian or not Christian, we all want to live, we all want to enjoy life on a restored earth forever and ever. You don't have to be a Christian to want that. To want to never die, to want to never be sick, to want to never have sadness, no tears, no pain, perfect relationships with each other on a new earth to enjoy each other and enjoy the beauties of this world with no curse, no brokenness forever and ever and ever. Everybody wants that. Amen. What they might not want is God, who's at the center of all of that, who's the key to all of that. Jesus, who, is, who brings harmony to all of that. I want your gifts, God. I'm not sure I want you. Or I might want you, but I want you in the way I want you to be so that I can enjoy your gifts without you as you are. That's dangerous. That's damning, actually. And even Christians, at times, our hearts get caught up in that desire as well. God, I don't want you the way the Bible reveals you to be. We want you the way we want you. So that's our problem, is that we don't always want God for who he is. We're afraid that if we have God as he is, we'll lose our power, our sense of control over our lives, our influence, our love, the approval of others, the respect of the people that we want respect from. We feel like our pleasure might be taken away or our quality of life will be diminished, our comfort will be made uncomfortable. And so we're afraid. And so we hesitate 
to fully follow Jesus, to entrust ourselves to Jesus. There's a command here. I don't know if you noticed it in Matthew 28. It said twice. Did you see the command? Anyone want to shout it out and guess if I didn't read with you this week? If I read with you this week, don't say it because that's cheating. But for those of you I didn't read with this week, anyone want to guess or did anyone notice the command that's repeated twice? Go. Okay, there's another one. Someone else said the other one. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid and go. Don't be afraid. This passage, in this in the story of the resurrection, we get a picture of Jesus' resurrection so that we would not, number one, be afraid, and number two, that we would go. And those actually go together. The reason we don't go is because we are afraid. We hesitate. We want to say we're Christian, but we don't want to go all out for Jesus. We don't want to go with reckless abandon and trusting ourselves to Jesus because we are afraid, because we hesitate, because we doubt. And so the story of the resurrection is meant to give us power to break free from these hesitations of not going all the way in with Jesus. Now look at verse 16 with me, or verse 17 here. It says that um, when they saw Jesus on the mountain, they what? What did they do when they saw Jesus in verse 17? They what? They worshipped him. But even though a bunch of them were worshipping, some what? Some doubted. And these are not some are worshiping, some doubted. There is a debate about how you understand this verse. I don't take it that some were truly worshiping, some weren't worshiping. I take this that they were all worshiping, and in the worship, some were doubting. This word doubt is only used one other time in the whole New Testament, and it's in Matthew 14, verse 31, where Peter is walking on water. Remember, Jesus was walking on water, his disciples were in the boat, and they're all freaked out because you don't normally see people walking on water, right? So you'd freak out too at two or three in the morning. And they're freaking out and they see Jesus walking on water. Jesus tells them, don't be scared, it's me. Don't be afraid, same command here. It is I. And then Peter says, if it's you, call me out so that I can go to you. And so Jesus calls Peter and Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on water. Wind comes and a wave comes and Peter gets freaked out by that, as you probably would be too if you're walking on water. Um, he gets scared, he takes his eyes off Jesus, he looks down. And then he, he, he drops into the water and begins to sink. Jesus walks up to him on water, pulls him out and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you hesitate? Why did you doubt? Now, Peter could have said, doubt? I'm the only one out here on the water. <laughs> what about the other 11? Who's the one doubting here, right? I have, so Jesus didn't say you have no faith. You have what? Little faith. And it was more faith than, than the other 11 who are, you know, on the boat. And so same, same thing here. They worshiped Jesus, but some doubted. There was a little faith. There was a hesitation. Is this real? Is he really the same Jesus that we knew before the resurrection? Are we really going to follow this guy? Is he really the king that we were expecting him to be and that he was claiming to be? And now he's reforming and reshaping what it means to be the king of our lives and the king of the universe? We all want to get out of the boat and not waver. We all want to fully entrust ourselves to Jesus in the life that he's calling us to live and the path he's calling us to walk. So here's the main goal of Matthew 28 for today. At least one of the main goals here, maybe not the main goal of the passage, but the main goal for today is this. Push through your hesitation so that you entrust yourself completely to the risen king, Jesus Christ. Push through your hesitations so that you fully entrust yourself to following Jesus Christ 
the risen king. So through this story of the first, res- the first Easter story, the resurrection of Christ, we learn four lessons or four reasons here that compel us to push through our hesitation, to push through our doubting, to push through our little faith, to fully entrust ourselves to King Jesus, okay? So here are the four points, four reasons. Because the angels tell us that Christ rose from the dead. Second reason, because Jesus tells us that Christ, that he rose from the dead. The third reason, because the unbelievers don't have a good reason, a a good alternative explanation for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the fourth reason we should trust the resurrection of the dead and trust Christ all the way is because the disciples tell us that Christ rose from the dead, okay? So an angel tells us Christ rose from the dead. Jesus himself tells us that he rose from the dead. Unbelievers give a bad reason, a terrible reason that's unbelievable, implausible as to an explanation for the missing body, which proves that Christ rose from the dead. And fourthly, the disciples, and Matthew in particular, tells us that Christ rose from the dead. Let's look at these one at a time. Number one, the angels tell us that Jesus is the risen king. So we go to verse one here, and it's this, after the Sabbath, which is a Saturday, on the first day of the week, this is the Lord's day. This is why we call it the Lord's day, because it was a Sunday. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, and um, an angel came like lightning. He freaks out the guards who were put there to guard the tomb to make sure Christ's body wouldn't be stolen. An angel comes, freaks them out, they're terrified, And so um, it says they're so shaken by fear in verse 4 that they became like dead men. The angel removes or rolls back the stone that covered the tomb. The guards presumably flee and don't stick around to talk to the angel. They're scared, and then the women come. And in verse 5, so the women are there, and they speak to the angel. And Mark tells us, I think it's Mark who tells us, one of the, I th- or maybe Luke tells us that there are two angels, but Matthew's just focusing on the conversation here. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know who you're looking for, Jesus Christ, who was crucified. Now, if you went to see Jesus because your heart was devastated, you're following Jesus for several years, he dies on you, even though you thought he was going to be the king, and now your whole life is shattered. If you think about pain in bereavement, broken promises, a feeling of hopelessness, there probably is no greater, if they hoped in Jesus before he died with all the miracles he did and all of his teaching and his love, imagine the hopelessness they felt on the opposite side after Friday when Jesus died and was buried. They were in the utmost of despair. And so now they come to the tomb and they see it open and they're freaked out, not because they think he rose from the dead, but they're scared maybe someone took his body. Actually, one of them say, if, if, where's his body? Just tell us so we could, we could well, we'll take the body. We'll take it off somebody's hand if it's a burden. But the angel explains, you're looking for Jesus. And he says here, um, he's not here. That, there it is in verse six. Here's the angel's testimony. Jesus is not here. Not because someone stole the body, but why? For he is what? Risen. He has risen just as he said, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So he tells them, don't be scared. Jesus, what were they scared of? Maybe that his body was stolen. Don't be scared. He's not, his body's not stolen. He has risen from the dead. And then he says, just as he 
said. You should have known Jesus was going to rise from the dead. He told you guys. Look at Matthew 16. Keep your, Bible, keep your finger in 28, but look at verse 16. Let me just read to you three passages here, or a few passages here about Jesus' explanation of what happened. And from here, we'll, we'll hear the gospel message. Listen to Matthew 16, 21 and 23. From then on, after the transfiguration, when Jesus showed his glory to Peter, James, and John, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be what? Raised on what? The third day. That's Matthew 16, 21. Look at Matthew 17, verse 22. Matthew 17, 22. As they're gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised up. A second warning or second um, preview. Now, this one is actually after the transfiguration. And then you go to Matthew 20, verses 27 and 28. Here the disciples, I'm sorry, not Matthew 20, 20 Matthew 20, verse 17. Here Jesus predicts, again, when while going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples and privately said to them again, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to what? To death. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. Listen to this. And on the third day, he will be raised. Three times, Jesus told them he was going to rise from the dead. And in case you think, well, maybe the disciples weren't paying attention. I mean, I'm a preacher. I teach and preach here regularly. I don't expect our members to remember 95% of what I've said. I mean, like, to recall the exact words of what I said. I don't expect that. I'm not surprised when they don't remember. So if Jesus said this three times, I mean, aren't you, if you're a parent here, have you said this to your kids? How many times do I have to tell you? You say that to your kids, and it's, it's more than three, right? You probably said it more than three times. So we're, we're, not, we're not surprised that they might have forgot, but I, I'm sure that some of them had to have remembered it. Because do you remember what Peter did the first time Jesus warned them, warned them he was going to die? Jesus, uh, Peter took Jesus aside and said, this will never happen to you. I won't allow it. Stop talking like this. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your, thing, your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. You ever notice that? Thinking about worldly things and not the things of God is satanic. That's satanic. It's not just neutral. It's satanic. And so, I mean, it's not every day that you're called Satan by the Messiah. I'm sure Peter never forgot the day he was called Satan by Jesus. He, he had to have known, at least somewhere, he had to have remembered, oh yeah, he did say he was going to rise from the dead. But the point here is, Jesus told them. He didn't only tell them he was going to die and rise. He told them what that death meant. Look at Matthew 20, verse 27 and 28. Jesus says here, whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, Jesus didn't come for you to serve him. He didn't come to be served. He came to what? To serve us. And give his life what? As a ransom for many. You're not here to save Jesus. Jesus is here to save you. You're not here to pay some ransom for your own sins and help Jesus on the Great Commission. He's here to pay the ransom for you. You're the one who needs help, not him. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom, a payment. So as he dies for sins, he explains his death is a payment. It's a ransom And in this ransom, he secures the kingdom of God. 
By dying for sins, he secures the sinner-saving, curse-reversing rule of God and the new earth to come. Look at Matthew 19, verse 28. He doesn't only secure the kingdom. He, he also, in this, he talks about the kingdom that's going to be consummated. Look at 19:28. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of what? In the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, have, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you'll receive a hundred times more for all you've sacrificed in this life. All the money you give up. All the relationships you break because Christ tells you to break them. All the shame you take for gospelizing when they don't want to hear it anymore. All of the love you give when people push you away. All the time you spend reading God's word and thinking on it that you might love him more and communicate it better. All the sacrifices you made are not sacrifices. It's like investing pennies and getting $100 bills back for every single penny you invest. Is that a sacrifice? I gave up all these pennies. But you're getting $100 bills back. You're getting 100 times, a thousand, a thousand fold for what you sacrifice in the renewal of all things in the earth to come. When Christ died, he secured the kingdom. He's, sh he's showing us that he's going to consummate the kingdom in the renewal of all things. And then in Matthew 28, verse 18, go back to Matthew 28 now. In Matthew 28, verse 18, look at verse 18. He says, all authority has been what? Given to me. All authority is Christ's. He has all authority now, so he has the kingdom inaugurated. It started now. The kingdom isn't just in the future. It starts now because Christ has authority when? Now, after his resurrection. All authority is given to him. But it's not consummated yet until Christ returns. So... If you're not a Christian, this is the good news of Christianity. Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He lived the life we should have lived. He died as a ransom for our sins. And in his death, he secured the kingdom. In his resurrection, on Sunday, he previews the consummation. Christ rises first. You'll rise next. All Christians will rise next. And then this earth will be renewed. And we will reign on this earth forever and ever and ever. All because he died for our sins and on that Sunday rose from the dead. If you're not a Christian, this is the good news. But the good news is only for sinners. If you don't know that you're a sinner, the Bible says you are a sinner. If you don't believe you're a sinner, you can't receive the good news. You have rebelled against God and God holds us accountable. And the penalty for our sin is damnation in hell forever. That's the only right punishment for what you've done and what I've done. Any other punishment is short of justice. Anything short of hell is injustice. But God is not unjust. He is not unrighteous. He will not be tricked or mocked in the end. Amen. And so our, our judgment for our sins is damnation in hell forever. Christ came and paid that ransom for every single sin of every single sinner who would ever believe. And so he's calling everyone here to repent from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ and he'll save you from your sins and give you life forever. Jesus will save you today. Just call on him because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be, will be saved. You'll be saved from judgment. So what's the command here to, to the ladies going back to Matthew 28 verse 7? What's the command here? It's uh, don't be afraid. And then it says, come and see. And then he says, go and tell. I want you to notice that. Don't be afraid. 
Go and come and see the body. It's gone. Come and see the place where he lay. It's gone. Go and tell. Don't fear. Come and see. Go and tell. I want you to notice that sequence. We're going to see a pattern here. But don't fear. Come and see. Go and tell. That's what, that's what the angels did at, um, to the shepherds when Jesus, Jesus was born. Remember the shepherds in the field? They were freaking out because there's an angel and um, thousands of angels singing glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth among God, among those God highly favors. Remember that? And the angel says, go to the town of Bethlehem. Go see. So they're fearful. He says, don't be afraid. Go check it out. And then they leave the manger praising God and talking about the excellencies of what they saw. Don't be afraid. Come and see. Go and tell. So there's the first reason why we should why we should entrust ourselves to Jesus and push through our hesitation because an angel from heaven has told us Jesus rose from the dead. But secondly, Jesus himself told us. Now he predicted it. We covered his predictions, but let's move on. Look at verse eight. So departing quickly from the tomb, the ladies get the message from the angel. They're scared, but they also have great what? Great joy. Have you ever felt joy and fear at the same time? You've probably felt that in great moments. That's what's going on here. Fear and great joy, great excitement. They run to tell the disciples the news. As they're running, somebody stops them. They hear a voice saying, greetings. It's a familiar voice. They turn and they see a familiar face. Whose face do they see? Who do they see? Jesus. They see Jesus standing there. They run to him. And what would you do if your heart was shattered into a million pieces on Friday because this man died and you see him standing there greeting you? What would you do? You'd rejoice, they run up to him, they grab him, they cling to him, right? They grab, it says here in verse, in verse 9, um, they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They adored him, they treasured him, they took hold of his feet. Why would they take hold of his feet? Yeah, so he wouldn't walk away, that's what I would do. You're not going anywhere. Do you know what you just did to me in the last 48 hours? You're not going anywhere, right? They clung to his feet, and they, they worshiped him, and they're so grateful. And, and as they're doing that, Jesus says to them again, don't be afraid. Now, what are they afraid of this time? First, they might have been afraid that the body was stolen. Now, what are they afraid of? They're, they're clinging to his feet, and he's saying, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. What might they be afraid of at that moment? That he might leave again, right? I mean, remember, they just had a traumatic experience not too long ago, not even, not even three full days ago, they had a traumatic experience, and now they're here, and Jesus is saying, let me go, go to my disciples. It's okay if I'm not in your sight. They're like, no, you're not leaving our sight, <laughs> right? That's what their fear is, that, that he's going to leave them. And so he says again, don't be afraid, but go and what? Go and tell. See the connection again? Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't hesitate. Go and tell. And so Jesus is clear and echoing, really, the command of the angels. Now, you might stop right here and say, you know, if you're not a Christian, you might say, okay, PJ, this is why I could never become a Christian. You guys believe in an ancient book, but we live in 2019. What about modern science, history, culture? I mean, some of the commands in the Bible are so outdated and so out of step with our culture today and so out of step with equality and justice that who could believe a, a, an old ancient book like this? You guys, you Christians are crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you believe an old ancient book that's so out of step? I mean, these are probably legends. They're probably making these things up. 
If someone just wrote something that some guy rose from the dead, you're just going to believe him and give your whole life to him and start meeting every week and giving your money and your time for some claim that somebody made up and wrote in a book? I mean, I could write a blog post right now and do that. Would you start, you know, would you give up your whole life to follow what I write online? So some of us might look at the Bible and say it's just so out of step with history, with science. It's unbelievable. It's legends. It's lies. Let me respond to that just very briefly here. Why, are the, why would I say, because here's our claim as Christians, that these accounts of Jesus' life are historically reliable and they're not exaggerated legends? Why would I say that? That these are not exaggerated legends. These are actually historically reliable accounts of Jesus' life, of his death, and yes, his resurrection. Um, let me give you a, f- a few reasons here. Number one, the timing is far too early to be legends. It takes a long time for a legend to grow especially in that day when you don't have the internet and everyone can check on their phone a new rumor, right? For things to go viral in the first century, it takes a really long time for it to go viral, right? So to write Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, 30 years after, and then maybe John, John even 60 years after, 30 to 60 years after, that's too early to make these kinds of claims with all these people still alive, he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. He healed that person. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and there are a bunch of people there. He rose from the dead. To write those types of things 30 years later while people are still alive, everyone can cancel that out, right? Dude, I was there. He didn't raise anyone from the dead. I was there. He didn't feed us. We all brought our own food. <laughs> the body's still in the tomb. You can just check it out. It's too early. It's too early to be a legend. To, to be a lie that could act, even if it was a lie, it couldn't spread that far with all these eyewitnesses. Secondly, um, if you're making up a story like this, who are the, who's the first people to see Jesus? Women. women, the women. In this day, in the Roman Empire, in the, in the court of law, women were not even legally able to testify in the court of law. They were not considered legally reliable witnesses. That's wrong, that's sexist. But that's what it was. That's what it was back then. So if you're going to start a new story and you want to spread everywhere and you're going to say women were the first eyewitnesses of Jesus, you think that's going to take off in the Roman Empire in the first century? No. You don't make that up. You don't, you don't write that if you're going to try to spread a lie. You only write that if it actually happened, if it's true. So for those reasons, I would encourage you to consider, consider what the Bible says. And if you're saying, well, you know, the Bible's so out of step with the morals, it's so old and, like, you know, outdated with its morals in terms of the culture today, um, even its sexuality and its sexual ethics and things like that, and its gender ethics and things along that line, you might say it's so out of step, sexual intimacy only in marriage, these types of things. Um, If you think that that is so out of step with the culture today, just realize that there are other cultures today that hold to those morals, And they think you're out of step with what those cultures in other countries think. And we think in America that they're out of step. In other words, every culture has morals and they even disagree with each other. If you're saying the Bible's so out of step with our culture that it has to be wrong, you're saying that your culture is the supreme and right culture. But do you ever look at what your grandparents believe and thought, huh, I don't really hold to what my grandparents held to. Your great grandkids might say say the same thing about you. So if you're gonna say, I can't believe the Bible because of the culture of today, well, that's to idolize your culture as if it's, it's correct on everything. And I would just challenge you to reconsider that. What, what do they do when they grab hold of Jesus' feet? Back to the story. They hold Jesus' feet and they worship him. 
What's the application here for Christians? Who should we worship? Worship Jesus. Not merely with our lips, but with our hearts. Jesus said even in Matthew 15, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Worship Jesus, not just by sitting here. Certainly worship Jesus by sitting here and by singing, but worship him with your heart and your mind and not just with your body, with your passion, with all that you are. Church family, we need to stay focused on worshiping Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to worship Jesus by repenting from your sins and trusting in Jesus. Jesus is the only person that we can worship. Where We, can, we, we worship all kinds of things and people, but he's the only one that when you worship him, you find life, peace, harmony, and hope. Every other person or thing you worship will break down your life somewhere else. And you'll feel the repercussions for sure after judgment day. But sometimes, if God is gracious, you'll even feel, feel it before you die. And hopefully it wakes you up. Jesus is the only one you can worship where life is actually harmonious with God and with others in this broken world. And so I invite you to worship Jesus. Why? Because the angels testify. Because Jesus testifies. Thirdly, because unbelievers do not have a good test testimony as far as their explanation let's look at the story in verses 11 through 15 so you know the angels the angel came the the soldiers ran away and so um, the soldiers come up to the chief priests and they say to the chief priest they tell him what happened you know an angel came and rolled the tomb away and we freaked out and we left and so now the chief priests have a problem because they don't want anyone to trust and follow who they don't want anyone to trust and follow jesus so now they got a problem wait an angel came this is a problem. So what do we need to do? We need to make up a, a lie, a story. Here, here, here's what we'll say happened. Let's just say that, um, and here's the story in verse um, 13. Let's say his disciples came at night and stole him when you were sleeping. And if you get in trouble with the government, we'll, we'll cover you. We got your back. We'll make sure you don't face the consequences. Because the consequences in that day for letting a soldier or letting a prisoner go, do you know what the consequences are? It's death. You have to die if um, one of those that you're in charge of um, holding imprisoned escapes. You have to die. You're accountable. So here they're going to say, we slept, we fell asleep, and disciple, the disciples stole his body when we were sleeping. So um, that's, their, that's their explanation. Here's the historical fact. The historical fact is Jesus' body is missing. That's a historical fact. That whether you're Christian or not, um, that's what we would claim, and that's what we just say you'd have to believe. In the same way that we would say, um, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, or George Washington was the first president of the United States. Those are historical claims. I mean, let's just take George Washington being the first president of the United States. Were any of you there? You weren't there, right? None of you are here. Even our oldest members weren't there, right? <laughs> no, you weren't. You're like, oh, no, you weren't. They weren't. They're not that old. But it's a historical claim. We're actually claiming something historical that George Washington was the first president of the United States. We don't, we don't take it, you don't do a science experiment. You don't put under, something under a microscope to figure that out. You do that by historical investigation. What we're saying is if you search history, you cannot have, the, the body of Jesus is missing. That's a historical fact. That Jesus existed and his body's gone. What's our explanation as Christians? Where's his, what happened to his body? He rose from the, rose from there. That's our explanation. That's our, that's our, that's our historical claim, and that's our theological explanation. If you're not a Christian, you don't hold to that. You need an alternative explanation. 
Their alternative explanation is the disciples stole it. That might not be your explanation if you're not a Christian, but you need some historical explanation for why Jesus, why his body is missing. You could say he never existed, but that's just not historically responsible. You could say his body's still in the tomb. That's certainly not historically responsible. People could have just went to the tomb and said, here's his body. They didn't. So what's your explanation for Jesus' missing body? You might say, you know what? Maybe he didn't really die. He was badly wounded. But so many people testified to his death. Maybe you might say, like um, some other religions, that it wasn't really him on the cross, but it was an imposter. You might say that the disciples had a group hallucination, though hallucinations are individual and unique to every individual experience. There are not really a reliable group hallucinations of seeing the same event in all of these different instances. And some of you might say, well, we can never know history. Well, we do know, if you, don't, if you say we can never know history, we do know that there are Christians and churches everywhere today, right? You know that, that that's true. And you do know that um, it had to have come from somewhere. You still need some sort of explanation for why two billion people today are celebrating Jesus' resurrection from the dead. My point here is that there's no other good explanation for Jesus' body being missing. Or you might say, well, you know, okay, maybe Jesus rose from the dead, but that doesn't mean I have to follow him. That doesn't mean he's God. doesn't mean he's Savior. It just means that his body has risen from the dead. Okay, so if that's your explanation, then um, maybe you just say, you know what, strange things happen. That might be your explanation of the situation. Maybe you might say, you know what, all religions are the same. Here's why I can't be a Christian, because all religions are the same. Some Christians, so Christians believe Jesus rose from the dead. Muslims believe that Muhammad is the last prophet. Hindus believe that there are thousands or hundreds of gods, and, you know, and you know, Buddhists might believe how to get to nirvana and get to inner peace, but all religions basically say be good and you'll make it in the end. You'll be okay. So all religions are, are basically the same, and you Christians are so close-minded and so exclusive and so narrow that you think Jesus is the only way to be forgiven? You insist that Jesus is the only way to heaven? That your, your religion is the only religion that's right and true? That exclusivity is breathtaking, and it appears to even be a threat to international peace. Do you Christians here believe that Jesus is the only way to God? Yes. If you're not a Christian, you might say, well, that, CPJ, that's my problem. All these people thinking that and saying yes so confidently. I get that. If that's where you're at, here's what you need to understand. If you're saying all religions are the same, and that there isn't one way to God, and so don't be so exclusive, if you say all religions are the same, that is an exclusive claim. Inclusivism, if you're trying to be inclusive, you're actually undercover, you're actually being undercover exclusive. Why? Because you're saying, Christians, you're not right, you're wrong to say Jesus is the only way. So, but we're saying, so if you're saying everybody's right, if you're saying everyone's right, but Christians are saying we're the only ones that are right, then you're saying that they're actually wrong. You can't say that they're right and everybody's right at the same time they're making an exclusive claim. And if you, if you take the time to actually examine each religion, you'll find a lot of differences that actually every religion is exclusive and even your inclusive, everyone's a, everyone is correct, is exclusive. So the question isn't whether you're going to be inclusive or exclusive. The question is, are you actually correct in your view? That's what you need to think about. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died and he rose and there's no other explanation we're saying than Jesus, that, um, of, of, of Jesus' missing body, then Jesus rose from the dead. So I want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to push through your hesitation, to keep thinking 
about what Christians are claiming and think if the gospel message is actually true. So why do you need to push through your hesitation? Number one, because the angels say that Jesus rose. Number two, because Jesus says that he rose. Number three, because unbelievers don't have a good explanation of the missing body. And number four, Jesus' disciples tell us that he rose from the dead. Look at Matthew 28, last verses here, verses 16 to 20. The 11 disciples travel to Galilee, and they're there, and they worship, but some hesitate, some doubt. And then Jesus makes his kingdom declaration. All authority in heaven and on earth, all authority in the universe is mine. Everyone needs to recognize and bow down to my authority is basically what Jesus is saying. So then what's his command? Go therefore and what? Disciple or make disciples of all nations. There's the command. Go and what? Go and tell. Go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them. Keep speaking. You, you, go and tell. What does he not say here? Don't be what? Afraid. Don't be afraid. Why doesn't he say don't be afraid? Well, he's sort of addressing your fear with the last part of the verse. Look at verse 20. Go and tell and disciple and baptize and teach and remember I am what? I'm with you always to the end of the age. Don't be afraid. Why were they afraid when they were clinging to his feet? They thought Jesus was going to what? Leave them. And what does Jesus say? I'm with you always. Don't be scared when you talk to each other and you rebuke one another in this church. Don't be scared when you share the gospel with a non-Christian and you tell them that they need to repent from their sins and trust in Jesus. Don't be scared when you tell them things are wrong and there's a right way of, of, of trusting in God. Don't be scared to tell them that you think the Bible's true and that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Don't be scared to tell them that judgment is coming again because I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't be afraid, go and tell. Don't be afraid, go and tell. Don't hesitate, don't hesitate. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might say, oh wait, my my point here is the fourth point. So the angels told us, Jesus tells us, unbelievers tell us by their bad explanations. And lastly, the disciples tell us. What do I mean the disciples? The disciples obeyed this commission, didn't they? They went to disciple all nations. And who wrote this book? Matthew. And he's a disciple. And by him writing this, guess what he's doing? He's discipling people. He's going, he's telling, he's teaching, he's calling people to get baptized. So Matthew is telling us today here in Bellflower, southeast Los Angeles, all the way from Jerusalem, the story that happened in Jerusalem, Matthew is telling us today, almost 2,000 years later, to follow Jesus. He's telling us Jesus rose from the dead. And not only is Matthew telling us, other disciples who've been discipled by the disciples there tell us. I mean, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And what am I telling you today? What is Bethany Baptist Church telling you today? That Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. So listen, push through your hesitation because we are telling you from, on the authority of scripture that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now you might say, you might say, um, well, can I believe the scriptures? I mean, if, if Jesus would just actually come here right now, PJ, and stand next to you and show himself, then I would believe. But you know, the Bible tells us a story that confronts that thought. There's a story in Luke chapter um, 16 of Lazarus and the rich man. Have you heard that story Jesus tells? The story of Lazarus and the rich man. And um, the rich man is rich, obviously, and Lazarus is poor, and he would be eating the crumbs outside of, he'd eat the, with the food with the dogs or something like that. I can't remember the details right now. But he was eating outside, and the rich man wouldn't, wouldn't serve him. When they both died, Lazarus was next to Abraham's side, not in the place of torment. And um, the rich man was in a place of torment. And he could see far off, he could see Abraham and Lazarus. And so he says, Abraham, 
please tell Lazarus to dip his, you know, dip some water and, and put a drop here for me that I might be relieved of this suffering because he's burning in fire. And then, and then um, Abraham says no. And he says, well, can you at least send Lazarus back up to my family? I got family, I got brothers and sisters, I got cousins. I got family. Can you send him back up to tell them about this place so that they would not, so that they would repent and trust in God? And here's what Lazarus says. Listen to this. He says this. Um, he says, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And here's what the guy says. No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to tell them, then they will repent. And here's what Abraham says. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Amen. Even if they see someone rise from the dead, they won't believe. They'll still reject. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I mean, think about the chief priests. They know an angel came. They know he prophesied he was going to rise from the dead. They know his body's missing, and they still believe a lie. They don't even believe the lie. They make up the lie themselves. That's what we do when we reject Jesus. We're not just duped by a lie. We love the lie. We love the darkness. We love the half-Christianity. We love the almost being fully Christian. We love the fact that we can have Jesus under our control. And that's damning. That's damning. That is not true Christianity. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus is calling you to repent from your sins and trust in him according to the scriptures. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe the Bible, you're not going to believe Jesus. So if you can't trust in Jesus yet, at least, let me plead with you. I'm pleading with you to trust in Jesus. But if you won't do that, at least ask your questions and wrestle through your doubts with Christians who will bring the Bible to you again and again and again. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. We want you as this church, we want you to understand the Bible's message. So you have to come with your questions, come with your doubts, come with your hesitations and wrestle through it because the consequences are eternal. We will all be judged. And so we're pleading with you to consider Jesus. If you're a Christian here this morning, let's be honest as Christians, we hesitate to entrust ourselves to Jesus as well, don't we? We hesitate to go and tell. We hesitate to disciple others. We get comfortable saying we believe in Jesus, but we don't really want the cost of actually bearing that cross and speaking the truth and love to others when they might oppose us, when it will cost us respect sometimes, relationships, maybe even sometimes our jobs. And so Jesus wants us to recognize our fear. And he says, don't fear. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Your neighbor that you're scared of, they're under my authority. Your boss that you're scared of, they're under my authority. The money you think you need for your life, that's under my authority. The, the, the sin you feel like you're, bond, you're in bondage to in your life, that's under my authority. Don't be scared. Stop hesitating, Christian. Stop. Stop hesitating. All authority is mine. Your cost, your sacrifice is really no sacrifice at all in the end. Follow me with all that you are. Disciple one another. Disciple your neighbors. Disciple the nations. My kingdom is coming. And me, Jesus is saying, I am your king and I am with you. Don't be afraid. Don't hesitate. Go and disciple your neighbors and the nations. As a church family, let's remember this. Remember, they worship, but some what? Some doubted. When we gather here on a Sunday, we have 79 members of our church. 
and we see each other, we greet each other, we give each other hugs, and we're so happy to see each other, just remember that we have some members who are doubting every week. And it's different members on different weeks. You might be strong for the next four weeks and then weak for the next three. And we need to be sensitive to that. We need to bear each other's burdens. We need to take time to listen to each other's hesitations and sins and temptations and struggles and fears. And then we need to bear each other's burdens, weep with each other, and speak the gospel truth to one another. Let us not be a cheap, surface-level, happy, clappy church that doesn't deal with real suffering. Because we have people here who are on cloud nine right now. We have people who are at the bottom and they feel like everything is oppressing them. And we have good news for everyone, don't we? So let's bear each other's burdens. Let's worship together. Let's walk with each other through our hesitations and doubts because we're a church family helping each other get to the final resurrection. So push through your hesitation so that you entrust yourself completely to Jesus, the risen king. It's okay for you, one pastor says this regularly, it's okay for you to not be okay. It's just not okay that you stay there. It's okay for you not to be okay right now, but it's, it's not okay to stay there. Keep pushing through and following Jesus. So, so why? Why should we push through? The angels tell us Jesus rose. Jesus told us he rose. Unbelievers give bad explanations for the missing body. And lastly, Matthew and the disciples tell us that Jesus rose from the dead, that he is the risen king. So I ask you, what is your hesitation? Why do you still delay? What are you still holding on to that you just can't really let go of to have Jesus? Why are you not ready yet to trust in Jesus? I, I'm calling on you to identify your hesitation. Give it a name. Identify exactly what's holding you back. Because when you identify it, then you could analyze it you can crush it, you can let go of it, and you can follow Jesus. But if you don't know what it is, you're holding on to idols that you don't even, you're fighting a, an enemy that you can't even see. If you don't identify your hesitation so that you crush it, you'll hesitate in following Jesus until it's too late, where your life and the final judgment will pass you by. But if you open your heart to considering Jesus honestly, to identifying your hesitations, and coming to Jesus honestly with your questions and with your doubts, Jesus, I guarantee you, if you're honestly coming to Jesus, Jesus will show you himself to be true, and he will win your heart to him. If you really will. He says, if you call on me or if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So come to Jesus. Push through your doubts. Push through your hesitations. And entrust yourself completely to Jesus that you might have and enjoy life everlasting, not only in the world to come, but even today. Let's pray. Father, take this word, hide it in our hearts that we wouldn't sin against you. Help us to trust in Jesus. We thank you that he has risen from the dead. We thank you that you're patient with us in our doubts and our hesitations. Help us to keep pushing through and growing to walk with you. We pray for our friends here who are not yet Christian or maybe some friends who were not Christian when this service started but are now wanting to trust you. We pray that you would give them faith in you and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.